grace. It does us good at times to remember grace, where we have come from, where we are in the present, and what's coming in the future. So this morning we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10, just to remind us of where we were, where we are, and what is coming. And in way of illustration, I have a paper towel here. I'm going to take this paper towel and dip it in this mixture Kool-Aid mix. And if you look closely, that paper towel has been forever changed. It will never be as it was. I have a piece of paper. I'm going to also dip that in the Kool-Aid mix. And again, if you take notice, I will leave it in there even a little longer. That paper has been changed. It will not return to what it was. I have a piece of candy here. And I need a volunteer who is willing to eat this. Karen. I'd like you to... I'd like for you to uh, take a bite of that. And then you can take the rest back and... Eat it. Just one bite? Take one bite and take the rest back and finish it as you're going back there. <clears throat> okay, you may finish. <laughs> Unless I'm not very wise, that candy bar is forever changed. And it's almost gone. <laughs> and it's almost gone. So we consider a passage of Scripture this morning in which Paul reminds the body of believers, the body of believers in Ephesus, of what took place in their life years ago. Just as the paper towel, the piece of paper, and the candy bar are changed through certain action, so the individuals in Ephesus were changed, and I think applicable to us today, there's change takes place. We need to remind it of that. We need to remind it of God's grace over and over again. So why even listen to what is shared from Ephesians 2 this morning? To more fully understand in Christ by grasping deadness. Where the Ephesians were, where we were. To more fully understand the body of Christ by grasping what we experienced in verses 4 through 9. To more fully understand God's power, that is, power in Christ by grasping who we are in the present, and that being found in verse 10. Ephesians is written to saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And I find it interesting that he addresses them as saints. Those who are set apart and also as being faithful in Christ Jesus. The structure of the passage we will discuss. You were, the Ephesians were, we were, that is our past, before in Christ. In verses 1 through 3. In verses 4 through 9 we find God acted, coming to be in Christ, And again, he's writing to people, and that was in the past. He states to the Ephesians, 
along with believers today, you are in the present, daily living in Christ. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 has all over it the term in Christ, through Christ, through Him. So very, very rich in who believers are in Christ. But let's read together verses 1 through 10 of Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so no one can boast. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Many times we come to Ephesians chapter 2 and we quote verses 8 and 9. But verses 8 and 9 appear in a context, a context of being written to believers being written to those in Christ through whom God has worked through Christ. And he says to them, after his prayer for them in verses 15 through 23, he has just finished praying that they might have a spirit of wisdom and understanding to know God, to know Christ. The eyes of their heart might be enlightened so that they might know the hope to which they've been called, the riches of God's inheritance in them, and the power that raised Christ from the dead. And then he says, as for you. As for you, Ephesians, and I think applicable us, to us today. As for you, you were dead. In your transgressions and sins. Dead means to be separated from a relationship with God. Separated from a relationship with Christ. You were without life. No relationship with God, with Christ. In fact, you were dead in your transgressions. Transgressions means flaunting God's design for life in conscious, rebellious contempt. You were dead in your transgressions. Think of a child a little child that is barely walking, and you have told them no about certain things around the house. And they get close to something that is a no, and they will and then reach for it. Transgression. You don't teach them that. Willful, conscious, 
rebellious contempt. You're in conversation with someone and they say something that just kind of sets you off. And you respond in not a kind way, a transgression. You're talking to a coworker, and they are bemoaning what has happened in life, and bitterness just pours out of them. You know that they don't know Christ, but what are they doing? Flaunting God's design for trials in which there's to be joy. Paul says, Ephesians, and I think to us today, you were dead, separated from a relationship with God in transgressions, but also sins. You take the Greek word for sins and you trace it. It ties in with lacking a relationship with God, but in this context, referring to acts springing from not having a relationship with God. Thus, acts that spring from self, whether it be self-exalting or self-assertion or self-satisfaction or self-glorification. As much as I hate to confess it, my brothers and I, when we were younger, many times lived in light of self. Mom would bake cookies, and often they were gone before she realized it. So she became wise to what was happening, so she would bake them. She would go out in the porch in the freezer. She would pull some things out and put the cookies in the middle of the freezer and then put the things back in so we wouldn't know where they were. We said, Mom, you made cookies. Where are they? They're coming sometime. You know what we did? We committed acts of sin. We figured out they have to be somewhere. So we went in the porch. We dug through the freezer and we found them. So I would take one or two. She won't miss them. Bob would take one or two. She won't miss them. Or would take one or two. I won't miss them. Ron, I don't know if you ever did that or not. You were spared that evil. You do it now. But what was going on? We were concerned about self. And there were times mom went to the freezer to get her cookies for company and there was none. Paul is saying... Before you came to Christ, you were separated from a relationship with God. You were in transgressions and you were in acts of sin that look out for self and only self. But he goes on and he says, in which you used to live. That is, you lived in transgressions and sin, separated from a relationship with God. When you follow the ways of the world. Not only separated from a relationship with God, not only in transgressions and sins, but he says, Ephesians, you also follow the ways of the world. The ways of the world are the thought patterns that let God out. God is not brought into the picture. A couple examples that are present in the world, the thought pattern Just look out for self. No one else is going to take care of you. Look out for yourself. Another thought pattern. Things satisfy. 
Another one, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Money satisfies. He says, Ephesians, you followed the ways of the world. I think applicable to us. You also followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Referring to Satan. At the core of Satan's work is doubt. To cast doubt in God and who he is to cast doubt in God's word. So for the Ephesians, they're going through trials and they say, why should I even rejoice in my trial? There's no value to it. Following the ruler of the kingdom of the air. For us today, you drive down the road and you see a little sign on the side that says 55 or 35. And you think, who cares? Doubt. Civil authority don't have a right to tell me how how fast to drive. That's the enemy. You followed the ways of the world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Writing to believers at this point in time, and he says, this spirit, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, is at work in the disobedient. The disobedient being those who are uncompliant, an obstinate disposition. All of us also lived among them at one time. The disobedient, those who have not come to faith in Christ, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. Gratifying the cravings of a sinful nature. A nature that desires, excuse me, for self. Expressed in many ways among the world of unbelievers. Unbelievers will focus on the sensual. That's why Paul says later in in Ephesians, don't give in to sensuality. The world focuses on sex outside of marriage. Cravings of the sinful man. And he says, you Ephesians, as well as us today, following the desires and thoughts of the sinful nature. Focus on me, I. And then he says, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Paul doesn't paint a very good picture. He's writing to believers, those who have come to Christ. He says, remember, I prayed for you. But as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You followed the ways of the world. You followed the devil. You followed the desires of your sinful nature. You're an object of wrath. But I love verse 4, the word, but. A word of contrast. You were. But. There was a shift from dead to God. God comes into the picture. But because of his great love for us, God, God in his love gave Christ. 
In 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, here is in love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. A couple years ago, I visited Luzerne County Prison. And the inmate that came down, that I requested came down, was one who was a murderer. I'd been given a little history before I talked to him, and he came in just a broken man. Is there any hope for me? And because of his religious background, he had no hope in God. He had murdered someone in cold blood. In his anger, he just pulled his gun out and shot. I did not say to that man, I love you dearly. I'm going to take my oldest son, Danny, and I'm going to bring him before the judge. And whatever your penalty is, my son will take the consequences. I didn't do that. I'm not sure Danny would have agreed to that. It didn't even cross my mind. But here we have God dealing with dead people and transgressions and sins, objects of wrath. And he says, that is Paul says, God, because of his great love. That love provided a sacrifice, provided Christ Not only his great love, but one who is rich, abundant in mercy, having compassion, walking in our shoes, understanding our position. God who is rich in mercy made us alive to make us share in the quickening of Christ, to resuscitate with Christ. Christ died. He was buried, but he was raised from the dead. Who was made alive with Christ when he came from the dead? According to Paul in parallel scriptures such as Romans 6, believers in Christ. The Ephesians, Paul says, he made us alive with Christ. And he goes on, he says, he seated us with him. We're seated with God in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Those who are dead because of God's love and his mercy have been raised with Christ, seated with Christ. For what purpose? That in the coming ages, sometime in the future, to Paul's writing, sometime in the future from the day in which we live, God's incomparable riches of his grace will be shown. The riches of his grace being shown, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Paul goes on. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. 
God's honor and favor, His grace. He says to the Ephesians, you've been given His grace. You've been saved. You've been rescued from being dead in transgressions and sins. And that's through faith, through a dependency. Dead people can't do anything. So it's by faith in what another has done. Not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. As you look at the context and the tenses of words, what is the gift from God? The fact that We've been raised with Christ, seated with him in the heavenly realms. That's a gift from God. It's not by works. Dead people can't do. Think of Lazarus. Lazarus is dead. And Jesus says, roll away the stone. You know, he's going to be raised. And Lazarus' sister says, he already stinketh. What could Lazarus do to come from the dead? Nothing. But Jesus spoke, Lazarus, come forth. Paul is saying to the Ephesians, you were dead. You're in transgressions and sins. You followed the way of the world. You followed the God of this world. You followed the desires of your sinful nature. You've been saved, but not by your works. So that no one can boast. Someday in the future, I'm not going to stand before God and say, God, I just want you to know, and I want the rest of these people to know here that I pastored for 40 some years and I was faithful. I've done pretty good. It's going to be God. It's your grace. I was a wretched man. I was dead in transgressions and sin from my birth. I followed the ways of the world, the desires of my own sinful nature, and followed the God of this world. It's by your grace that I'm here. Share a true story of a man who lived a very, what we would call, evil life. He did not have a good upbringing, which showed in his treatment of his family. He was brutal. He was unkind. He was abusive of his wife and children. He got into a life of alcohol and, again, was abusive. Spent time in prison quite often because of the laws of the state in which he lived. He later came to Christ. He began to be kind to his wife and kind to his children, had a passion for his grandchildren. He would not go to prison any longer because he was being sent there. His passion was to share Christ with others, a trophy of God's grace. But let's flip the coin over, and I want to share a true story of a man that I know who's still living who lived a morally good life. He grew up in a religious home. In fact, he was preparing for ministry in the church of which he was part of. And if you would have observed his life, he would have said, 
I do right, I go to church, I give money. I'm planning to prepare for ministry. But in the course of conversation with him, one time I said to him, I have a couple questions for you. said, in light of what you believe, what do you do with this passage of Scripture? And we spent an hour talking. And I came home and Ruth Ann said, how did the visit go? And I said, not very good. I only had the opportunity to ask four questions. So I think it was a waste of time. Lo and behold, that man came to Christ years later and he said to me, do you know what got me to thinking? I said, I have no idea. He said, you asked me four questions and my answers were contrary to Scripture. And it's through that that God got a hold of me and I realized that in spite of my religious upbringing, I was dead spiritually dead, separated from a relationship with God. And even though I was religious, I lived a life centered in self, a testimony of God's grace in the ages to come. God had to act in the lives of the Ephesians. God has to act in our lives if there's to be any change. Dead people can do nothing. And as we relate to unbelievers in our world of influence, we know that it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. So we share with unbelievers. I don't know about you, but as I read Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, and then Ephesians 4, or 2, 4 through 9, I have to step back in awe. I'm a saint. I'm a child of God. By God's grace. But it doesn't stop there. Paul explained in verses 1 through 3 where the Ephesians were, where we were. In 4 through 9, he explains how we came to Christ. That is by grace, through faith. Then in verse 10, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's workmanship, made done. God made the believers in Ephesus. He makes us as believers. It's his workmanship. God's workmanship, he created us in Christ Jesus from a state of disorder, from wildness, he called into existence. For what purpose? To do good works. The good works come after being saved, after being in Christ. For we are God's workmanship. Doing good works is a natural response to being alive in Christ, being raised with Christ. You say, what good works? I think many of them are spelled out in chapters 4 through 6. Being humble, 
in our relationships, being gentle in our relationships, being patient in our relationships, bearing with one another in love, caring enough for someone to come alongside and put an arm around them as they're going through a trial and just listen. Using building words. Don't lie. Speak the truth. Be quick to forgive. Be compassionate. Love. When you go to the job, give an honest day's work for the pay you get. When you're driving down the road, be respectful of other drivers. Those are all good works. He's talking about day-by-day living. He's not talking about something big that we do. Once in a great while, he's talking day-by-day. So how do I treat Ruth Ann tomorrow morning when I get up and she's still dead to the world? How do I respond to that driver? How do I respond to the person who's unkind? Good works. He's talking about life. And he spells that out in chapters 4 through 6. How about the good works for those who are younger? Just obeying mom and dad. When spoken to, immediately. That's a good work. Are you, am I, responding to God's grace by doing good works? The fellow who recently has gone to be with the Lord had a lifestyle of just doing good works. He had no special position in life. Business for, you know, on his own for a period of time and then worked for others and then retired. To my knowledge, he would have shared with his children after he had been married almost 50 years, said, if you think marriage is good, when you start. And he said, if you think sex is good when you start, wait till you've been married as long as I have. You ain't seen nothing yet. He just loved his wife. To my knowledge, his kids were treated well. He provided for them. He didn't yell and scream at them. He just corrected them when they needed corrected, correcting. As they were older and they get under their own, he would give counsel when it was, there was time to give counsel. He would go to work and he was kind and gentle, but yet firm when he was a boss on the job. He would come home and just do what the average guy does around home. He lived what we might call routine life. Nothing big, nothing spectacular. But he was responding to God's grace. Knowing that in Christ Jesus, he was created to do good works, which God prepared in advance for him to do. And he did them. Grace. To do, to fellowship with good works, to be maintaining good works as a walk of life.
For the Ephesians, life was generally routine. Paul says, remember where you were. Remember what God has done in your life. And remember in the present, you're to be living a life of good works. So a couple of questions. Where are you? Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Do you more fully understanding, understand in Christ due to grasping your deadness? Where you are, where we were, where the Ephesians were. Do you more fully understand the body of Christ due to grasping what we experienced? We've experienced God's grace. We've experienced God's mercy. We've been raised with Christ. We've been seated with Christ. Not me individually. Yes, me individually, but not me individually. As a body, that is true of us. We're part of the same body of Christ. Do you more fully understand God's power in Christ due to grasping who we are in the present? For God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Just as this paper towel is no longer the same, this piece of paper is no longer the same, the candy bar that Karen ate is no longer the same. We who were dead in transgressions and sins follow the God of this world, the ways of this world, and the desires of our own sinful nature. No longer the same because of God's grace. Because of his mercy. Thus we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Let's sing together about God's grace. Travis.